<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, top of the morning to you. It's that hated time of the year. Daylight savings time begins so that the golfers can play later in the evening after work. Um, but people taking their kids to school in the morning, eh, it's a little more problematic. Anyhow, I hate daylight savings time, and I hope this is the year we get rid of it. Uh, we got a lot coming up on the program today. Should we have man mask mandates at all? I want to get into this in some depth in just a moment. Or, or, or should we just be on our own? And are you going to continue wearing masks? Or have you thrown caution to the wind? I'll get to that in just a minute. Also, the death of nature and the war on Ukraine, in my humble opinion, are the same thing, along with the insect apocalypse. If we don't start listening to our screaming planet, COVID and Ukraine may be the least of our worries. I want to do a deep dive into China, Russia, and the question of whether America should be even considering sanctioning China, given how dependent we are on China, for pretty much everything. And I put that as an open question. I'm not saying we shouldn't be. I, there's a lot to this, and we're going to discuss. But I want to start out with this question about mask mandates and vaccine mandates and, you know, concern about COVID and all this kind of stuff. Over the weekend, two things got me thinking about this, and, and Louise as well. We've, we've talked about this at some length over the weekend and this morning. Saturday was the first day that Oregon, where we live, has no mask mandate. And we went to a nursery, you know, a, a store that sells plants. It's spring, after all, and Louise is thinking garden. So we went to this nursery, one of the largest in Portland, and spent an hour or so just walking around, mostly outdoors. There, there is an indoor area where they sell seeds and things. And it was fascinating. About half of the people there were still wearing masks, even though they're no longer required in Oregon, and this store was not requiring them. All of their employees had masks, but about half the customers did. And I noticed also, you know, there were more people indoors wearing masks. In fact, pretty much everybody who went indoors put on a mask. So Portland's still pretty kind of mask-friendly, respectful, I think you could call it. On the other hand, we got a call from an old friend of ours who used to live in Los Angeles and has now moved to a rural part of the East Coast, who was talking about how, you know, her kids have gotten COVID now three times, one of her kids. And, you know, why do they have to wear masks in school, you know, with these super contagious variants like uh, Omicron? The masks do not seem to be quite as effective. And it's like, at what point does it be, just become theater? Or at what point does it actually become counterproductive? The kids aren't liking it. They're chafing at it. And one of her points was, you're going to see people voting for Republicans because they're over it with the whole nanny state, nanny state Democrat thing. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know quite how to respond to that. I, you know, are you, are, do you know people thinking like this? Are you thinking like this? Should we have mass mandates at all? I realize they're all pretty much gone from the United States, although the TSA, the Transportation Authority, has said that you still have to wear a mask on an airplane, on a bus, or on Amtrak up until, uh, it was middle of April. My recollection was April 18th. So another month, and then, you know, of course, they'll reevaluate that then. Uh, I haven't had COVID yet. I, you know, I've, I've gotten two shots and a booster. I'm watching Germany, which is now offering a fourth shot, a second booster. 
to people who are over 70 or who are immune compromised. I caught this article about Pfizer suggesting that Pfizer this week is going to be presenting information to the federal government suggesting that it's time for a fourth booster or a fourth shot, a second booster, and that it's safe and effective and that the, the first booster, uh, which I got back in October, is now pretty much all worn off and so you've got to be careful. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and how you're responding to it in your family and, and your social circles. I know, you know, some of our friends are just like completely back to normal. We have some friends who recently went on a cruise. I have a, a whole bunch of my family members, you know, every other year or so, I take a week or two off on this program and we've been going down to Mexico or Honduras or whatever with our family, you know, rent a house on the beach and just, you know, take a week off. And uh, the family went without Louise and I this year because we're just not, we're not ready for this. But, you know, one of my brothers and his wife and, and one of my other brother's kids and their kids and family and, you know, they all went down there and they had a wonderful time. We have friends who went on a cruise, they came back sick, but they don't think they came back with COVID. We have friends who were visiting Europe. So maybe I'm an outlier in continuing to be concerned about this or maybe not. I don't, I don't know. I, I do, you know, I, I know that about, well, nobody knows for sure, but it looks like, I've shared the science with you on the program over the last couple of weeks, it looks like about 10% of people who get symptomatic COVID end up with some variation on long COVID. And as many as a third of those people who get long COVID have brain fog or dementia as one of the symptoms. And that's the thing that frankly scares me the most because it would destroy my ability to make a living and do this program. And so even if it's you know, if it's one third of 10%, which would be 3%, you know, I'm not willing to take a 3% chance right now. I mean, if, if you knew that three out of every hundred people who get in their cars this morning to drive into work were going to get in a car crash and die, would you get in your car? If you knew that three out of every hundred airplanes today are going to fall out of the sky, would you board a plane today? I mean, you, you can look at 3% in a variety of different ways. So that's, that's how I'm looking at it, but, but maybe I'm being hysterical. There is a study that was just published by the Centers for Disease Control. It was published on Tuesday of last week. And uh, what they found was, this was comparing, uh, this was all within Arkansas. It was a, 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 the CDC Epidemiological Intelligence Service. And uh, there are 233 school districts in Arkansas and this was a perfect test because about a third of those districts had full mask mandates. The state did not forbid it, unlike, for example, Florida. So about a third of those uh, school districts had full mask mandates. About a fifth of them only required masks in certain situations or in certain settings, you know, like uh, all school assemblies and things. And uh, half of those 233 Arkansas school districts had no mask mandates. And what they looked at was, you know, what did this impact? How did this impact the, the presence or spread of COVID in the schools? And what they found was that the mask mandates could be attributed. Now, you know, causation and correlation don't always uh, go together, but the, the, they said that this this is uh, pretty strong uh, causal. There, there appears to be a strong causal relationship here. Uh, and that the, the schools that were 100% masked had about a 23% lower rate of coronavirus among students and staff members than schools that didn't have masks. So, you know, where are we at? Where are you at on this thing? And uh, we'll get into that. I also want to get into how the death of nature, the insect apocalypse, and, and Putin's war on Ukraine are all part of the same thing. We'll be back with more of your calls and uh, also my rant here about uh, COVID and Ukraine and the insect apocalypse. Let's stick around. Joe in Nachikoshas. I, I can never pronounce that right, Hi. Louisiana. Hey, Joe. Yes. Natchitoches. Natchitoches. Okay. Louisiana. Okay. I wanted to know from your listeners if anyone else has had this. I had COVID on February 19th. At the end of my isolation, I started having jaw pain. It's like a toothache. I've never had a toothache. And so I went to my other dentist, did x-rays. They, oh, no, this is too early. We don't know any of that. I, so I just went online and Googled. 
COVID jaw pain. It's it's there's lots of data on there. Hmm. So when they check checked on me this morning, they called to see how I was, and I suggested that maybe they'd like to look at some of the dental journals and research this yeah. and let me know what they find. I wonder if you've had any. I haven't. I haven't heard of that, Joe. But you just tossed it out in front of millions of people. Maybe somebody will pick That's it up and, and call it. in. <laughs> there you go. And you know, I, COVID has all kinds of weird symptoms, you know, and, and causes bizarre infections, you know, or, or changes in the body. So, who knows? Joe, thank you very much. That's fascinating. So my rant today over at HartmanReport.com, uh, my daily rant is titled, The Death of Nature and the War on Ukraine are Part of the Same Thing. And I would add the, uh, the insect apocalypse as well. Our planet is just screaming at us. And COVID is part of that communication. And frankly, I think that Russia's brutal war on, on Ukraine is part of this, is wrapped up in this whole thing. You know, to start with the insects, you know, I've talked before on this program about that day back, uh, the first time it happened, I think was probably back around 2006, 2007, 2008. I was doing this show and a trucker called in and he was a long haul trucker who went back and forth between the east and west coasts uh, multiple times every year. And, or the southeast as I recall in the northwest. And he said, you know, it used to be I had to stop and, and scrape the bugs off my windshield every few hours. Now I've, I've been traveling three days and haven't had once to clean the bugs off my windshield. There's something spooky going on here, is what he said. And the phone lines lit up. I mean, people from Maine to California, from Florida to Washington State, sharing their stories about the death of the insects, this insect apocalypse. We're seeing it, uh, you know, we used to live on the Willamette River in Portland. We now live on the, on the Columbia River. Um, the air, you know, around rivers is typically filled with bugs and swallows, these little insect-eating birds. And I'm not seeing either one of those things anymore. Yeah, pretty much the only bugs I see anymore are spiders, and they're getting smaller and smaller as are, the, as are their webs. And, uh, you know, this is, this is concerning. But that's only part of the story. The, the insect apocalypse and the pandemic are both functions of how we're destroying wild areas around the world. We are, we are invading spaces where humans didn't used to be. We're burning down and tearing up rainforests and jungles and, and uh, wild uh, forests and savannas. And, and as a consequence of that, not only are we destroying insect habitats, but we are also exploring places where typically humans haven't gone. You know, apparently, for example, the COVID virus came out of bats living in caves about 150 miles outside of Wuhan in a region that, you know, humans had just always in the past ignored those caves. But hey, a new delicacy. Let's catch some of these bats and bring them into the wet market in Wuhan. And suddenly, you know, it's spreading, the disease is spreading around inside the town. This is, you know, people getting into wild areas. So where is all this coming from? Well, it's a function of our population. Our population, you know, for most of the two, 200 roughly thousand years of modern human history, we lived in small bands and, and in small, relatively small cities. And, you know, our population was less than a billion right up until 1800. We hit our first one billion people on the planet in the year 1800 the year that Thomas Jefferson was inaugurated as president or won the election to be president of the United States. The second billion only took 130 years, 1930. Our third billion only took 30 years, 1960. The fourth billion, 14 years, 74. Fifth billion, 13 years, 1987. And today we're standing on the verge of 8 billion people. And what's driving this is the fact that we are using as an energy source, both to grow and transport our food, among other things, sunlight that was captured by plants 250 million years ago. And that sunlight and that plant mass, the, the plants catch the sunlight, they, they use it to power a, a chemical reaction that combines moisture, oxygen, and hydrogen from the air, H2O, hydrogen and oxygen from the atmosphere, along with carbon from carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and forms plant matter. And then that gets sunk into the earth and it becomes coal and oil and natural gas. And we pull those things out. And when we burn them, we're re-liberating that sunlight, that 200 million year old sunlight. It's 200 million year old sunlight that's powering cars going down the road right now that you're looking at. Well, why not power them with modern sunlight? I mean, we now have that ability. 
And it's really important that we take that because the countries that are still pumping this ancient sunlight, like Russia and Saudi Arabia, are not the kind of countries that we want to see the world become like. And thus the war in Ukraine. You know, once again, if, if Putin wasn't selling all this ancient sunlight, all this fossil fuel, he would not have the ability to have the military to go after Ukraine like he is. So what I'm saying is all these things are one thing. And the, and the single most consequential thing that we can do right now, in addition to social changes that, that downregulate population, like empowering women around the world, one of the most important things we can do is decarbonize our economy. And we need to do it right away. And frankly, I think the situation in Ukraine is a much needed wake up call about the importance of this. It won't just slow down climate change. It'll also slow down the autocrats and dictators around the world whose only claim to fame is that they're sitting on piles of oil or coal. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mike in Reedsport, Oregon. Hey, Mike, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Hey, Tom, long-time listener, long-time fan. Just wanted to say that. Thank you. Nextly, I'm worried about the midterms this year. I think that just due to looking at historic trends, where just not a lot, not as many people vote midterm as they do in the presidential election, I think we're going to get slapped. Really? Yeah, I, it's, it's... What causes you to believe that? Because I'm, I'm seeing, you know, people pretty, pretty cranked up right now about politics. What's, he, what's causing me to think that is some of the information that's out there. And I know that social media is its own universe, so I fully get that. Yeah, very much. But some of, some of the – it doesn't take a lot, of, a, lot of, uh, uh, a lot of people in social media to not vote to cause a, a problem. And there's so much, so much um, dissatisfaction on, on, the, on the far left where they're just not going to vote at all. And if you if you try to just have a discussion about uh, yeah, change the house, uh, rank choice voting, change the house, and just open up the possibilities from the house and work 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 out from there. There are people that vote that have your your values and vote those values individually. It just doesn't seem to to, yeah. to, to click. I see two and things just, happening on the on the so-called far left, Mike. You know, among many of my colleagues. Um, and, and one is that, uh, you know, they're, they're speaking out and doing a great job, by the way, of speaking out about the importance of strengthening democracy through things like overturning Citizens United or, or amending the Constitution to, 
to make uh, uh, Senate representation more, con you know, more proportional or uh, going with ranked choice voting, as you mentioned. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that you know, challenging the Supreme Court directly by, you know, having Congress invoke Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution, all of those things. So that's all good stuff. But then there's this small fragment of them. And I think it's, you know, I think they, you know, the, those kind of well-informed lefties to begin with are only maybe 10% of our population. But then there's this small fragment among them, which might be another 5 or 10% of them. So it's like a half to 1% of the population who are saying, and I'm not going to vote until everything's perfect. Or I'm not going to vote for my member of Congress because, you know, uh, even though he's running against a toxic Republican and it's a 50-50 chance, I'm not going to vote for him because uh, he, didn't, he didn't vote to uh, end Medicare Advantage or he didn't or he, he's shilling for the pharmaceutical industry or whatever, right? Uh, yep. Not an illegitimate position, but one that it really just inures benefits to Republicans. And I, I think of those people just as being astonishingly politically naive. I don't know how else to describe it. I'd agree with you on that. I mean, I, I hate to, to speak that way about somebody else's, this may, may be hedging a little bit, but I hate to speak that way about somebody else's political view, but I mean, it is. Well, it's not a political view. It's, a, it's, it's their behavioral, you know, it's, it's like they're saying it, the, the system isn't perfect, and so I'm not going to play in it. And it's like, come right. on, grow up. Right. And if you don't vote, if you don't vote because you don't trust the system, that just gives more power to people that do work the system. That's correct. That may be your, your political opposite. That's correct. Very well said, Mike. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. And, uh, you know, it's great to have a meeting of minds here. I appreciate it. It's the place where we dare to ask, is Walmart a person? And we dare to say, no, the Supreme Court got it totally wrong on this one. Not a person. Welcome back. Dean Henry over on Twitter says, uh, time for Republicans to set their clocks ahead one century. <laughs> I love it. And so true. Anyway, uh, COVID, uh, war in Ukraine, fossil fuels. we got a lot to talk about here today. Alejandro in Miami. Hey, Alejandro, what's up? Well, I agree with you, Tom, that COVID is definitely not over. It's maybe there's a lull in COVID because Omicron has run its course. But just like, you know, a Fast and Furious movie franchise, there's always a sequel around the corner. So we have to <laughs> yes. We always have to worry, too, about the, the other variants, because what we need to emphasize is that despite a lot of people, I think, want to get over COVID emotionally because they're tired of it. But they have, you know, they have to get over their emotions and realize that COVID's not over yet and it's not endemic yet as of now. And, and that we can get another variant anytime soon from South Africa or whatever country that does, is not mostly vaccinated. And as long as we don't get herd immunity in this country and everywhere else, like we need the whole world to be, you know, immunized, like herd immunity, the whole world. We're always going to have this problem with a cycle, you know, going up, down, up, down, up, down. So, yes, we should still be concerned. Uh, you know, I'm from Miami. And it seems like most people aren't concerned at the moment. You hardly see anyone wearing face masks to go to, you know, the public supermarket where I you frequently go to shop, Costco or whatever. And so I think that people are taking too much of a lackadaisical attitude. Uh, like you, I have not gotten COVID either. I've been very lucky in not getting COVID. And I do follow the precautions of wearing masks when I go out. And, you know, my, my, both my wife and I wear a mask. Unfortunately, my daughter doesn't like to wear a mask because she's three years old. You can imagine how hard that is. Sure. But, you know... You know, I haven't gotten COVID yet. You know, I think, like I told you several weeks ago, my wife got COVID in December, and I, my daughter and I never got COVID from her. We tested, you know, frequently with her. We did the rapid. We did the PCR test at the county sites, um, and I never got COVID. Yeah. So That's I've been pretty impressive. like you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Alejandro. Okay. Well, yeah. thanks for weighing in and sharing your experience and perspective on this. Is, is your sense that in Miami, I mean, you're in a state that's kind of unique for its defiance of COVID mandates. In Miami, is, uh, does it seem like things are back to normal or are people still wearing masks? I think for the most, I mean, you could tell that people, a lot of people are still wearing masks, but I mm -hmm. would say it's not the majority of people. When I go out to supermarkets, I see a lot of people not wearing masks. When I go to like the Publix or the Costco or wherever, when you go out. But you still see people wearing masks too, right? Yeah. You still see people wearing yeah, masks. Yes, yeah, that's right. Fascinating. Yeah, so okay, Alejandro, thanks. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the report. Diamond in West Hollywood. Uh, one of one of the points that my friend made over the weekend was uh, thinking that there's going to be a lot of Republican voters coming up this fall, uh, or a lot of people voting Republican because they're so upset by how California has been clamping down. What say you, Diamond? Um, well, I say we're a rather ignorant nation, unfortunately. I remember when journalists wrote 
with sites and statistics. And when they took a poll, they actually said how many people they polled. Now they make these generalized statements, and unfortunately, the left, middle, and right, and I'm generalizing here, so I understand the irony, just take these talking points and accept them as gold. They're not. My cousin was a traveler. He unfortunately recently came down with a form of cancer. So I worry about the immunocompromised. Mm. Um, I'm a singer. I've obviously <laughs> not done a lot of singing in the past couple of years. I think we're a very selfish, ignorant nation that we only care about what's affecting us and not other people. And if people realize that we're all connected and it's not just us and our immediate family, maybe they would have a little bit more acceptance for a mass mandate. Yeah, I get it. I think that that's what you've identified, Diamond, is one of the consequential differences between the United States and, for example, Scandinavian nations and Vietnam, weirdly enough, where there's a high level of trust, not just in government, but among each other, among people, uh, you know, uh, among people in society. Whereas here in the United States, ever since the, uh, uh, largely since the Brown v. Board decision in 54, but, but really in a big way since the 1970s, we've had right-wing libertarian billionaires and big corporations just pounding into us this idea that Reagan raised to a religion that, you know, you're on your own, that we're a nation of rugged individualists, that we don't care about anybody except our own families and our own selves and, and selfishness, greed is good and greed is what powers America. And it's all horse crap, frankly. Um, but it has left us, I think, in some ways damaged and vulnerable. You've got half of Americans who earn so little money that they don't even have to pay income taxes, 61% actually. And you've got half of Americans who couldn't deal with a $1,000 expense. That, that is not the case in countries where there's high levels of social trust because there isn't a political party and a bunch of right-wing billionaires who are pounding on the idea of uh, you know, uh, rugged individualism. But left-wing people and middle-of-the-road people, they also seem to have glommed on to this, a lot of them. And glommed on to what? I, the idea that, you know, no one is going to look out for them. Uh. You know, the person who said the thing about, like, how all the Democrats are going to vote Republican now, there's a defeatism in there that I know my parents never had. Yeah. And that concerns me. We have Delta Cron that has been discovered in Europe. Right. You know? Yeah, so, a new variant that, that attacks the lungs, which Omicron mm -hmm. doesn't do. But it's as contagious as Omicron and as bad on the lungs as Delta, which is really bad news. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. And um, I have no easy answers for this other than, well, I, mostly I wanted to take, you know, kind of the temperature of people. Thank you, Diamond. Thanks for, for, for weighing in. It's great to hear from you. I appreciate it. Malcolm in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. Hey, Malcolm, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I had a, uh, you had a caller about a week ago that couldn't understand the racial component where uh, a percentage of our population was looking at what was going on in Russia and Ukraine and kind of desensitized to the violence and whatnot just based on what we've experienced under the Trump administration with separating kids at the border from their parents and then deporting them. And not only that, but setting up laws to hold migrants indefinitely. And as far as I've seen, that hasn't been overturned. And then secondly, when Biden ended the war in Afghanistan, you had Fox News and we were accepting refugees saying, oh, my God, who's going to vet these people as right. if what they survived wasn't enough. And so now that that just adds to it, to where they look at Russia and Ukraine somewhat as white-on-white -white violence. We, def we definitely have a different standard for brown refugees than we do for white refugees. I mean, you know, that's, that's right. becoming painfully obvious from this, which isn't to say that it's time for us to start crapping on Ukrainians or, you know, dissing them right. or whatever. But Facebook, is, I, I believe it's Twitter, maybe it was YouTube, said we're going to change our, st or maybe it was Facebook, I forget which social media it was, but one of them over the weekend said that they're, they're going to change their standards so that you can say nasty and threatening things about Russia because of their attack on Ukraine. You know, white people against white people. But, but what about other countries? I mean, you've got, you know, uh, uh, Gaza, you've got situations 
You've got Yemen. I mean, there. Yeah, yeah, and Haiti. Yeah, Haiti. Yeah, absolutely. They still don't have a government in place. Yeah. And lastly, with in terms of America and our sense of entitlement, we have more people. Last time I checked, only 34 percent of the population had a passport, and we have more people who have Facebook accounts and YouTube accounts than actual passports to travel. And so, Americans, with our entitlement, we're the only group that will show up to another country like Paris and be speak English. I'm sorry, Malcolm, you're breaking up here. I, I missed. Take time could... to learn the language. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the French in particular are insulted by that. I can tell you from personal experience, having had a, a Frenchman spit on my shoes when I asked him for directions in English. And he said, pardon me, the Francais. And I said, no, I'm sorry. And he spit on my shoes and turned and walked away. It was amazing. I mean, this is 30 years ago. But it was it probably wouldn't so much be the case today. But uh, there was a time there where, where uh, you know, French uh, language chauvinism was a thing. Malcolm, thanks for the call. Karen in Portland. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I wanted to just comment. I've been out in the community uh, yesterday and today in Portland and at the gym. I think it has to do with demographics, whether or not you wear your mask or uh-huh. what that percentage is. Because at the gym, 24-hour fitness in Hillsborough, you know what? Nobody had a mask on but me. Maybe wow. two other people, and they were much older. This morning, I went to Trader Joe's, and I'd say three-quarters of the people had their masks on. Half oh, interesting. Of the employees. I was doing a survey. So your gym is, is a little more downscale, and Trader Joe's is more upscale? Is that what you're saying, Karen? Yeah, just in terms of the, the population of people that go there. Uh-huh. So it's a gym. It's men, mostly men, younger or middle-aged. At Trader Joe's this morning, a little bit older, 50s, and then moms. And so I just, I don't know, I'm just kind of noticing. Oh, it so it was age and gender demographics, not income demographics yeah. that we're talking about. I see. Correct. I'm sorry. Yes, that's what I mean. My yeah. apologies for misunderstanding. That makes a certain amount of sense, Karen. I mean, you know, and men are more likely to be watching Fox News and be Trump followers and, and you know, hmm, interesting. Yeah, it was okay. fascinating. And before I went into Trader Joe's, you know, I was listening to what your day was going to be. And I was like, oh, I'm going to to take a look around at Trader Joe's today. So thanks again for all you do, Tom, and You're your welcome. staff. Okay, Have thank you, Karen, and thanks for the report. Uh, that was interesting. Ziggy in uh, Oneonta, New York. Hey, Ziggy, what's up? Hi, Tom. I'm calling about COVID-19. Yes, sir. If I give blood at the American Red Cross right now, they will give me a report afterwards showing me the level of antibodies I have to COVID-19. And they're doing oh, this for really? a limited time. Yes. Is, and it, is that, is that a way of measuring how effective your vaccine is, or can they actually tell if you've been infected and didn't know it? It says uh, to determine vaccination or infection is what it says huh. on their notice, okay? And right. I'm scheduled to get it done Friday, and I was going to do it anyways, but I said this is a benefit because I will know, uh, hopefully, in a week or so, what my antibody levels are. Not only that, as a man, if you give blood uh, once or twice a year, you reduce your risk of dying from all causes significantly, I mean measurably, um, and uh, it, because you're reducing your iron load, actually. Women who menstruate don't have that iron load problem, but um, uh, when men regularly give blood, their risk of dying drops to that of women, of, of menstruating age women. Um, and when uh, women go through menopause, their risk of dying jumps up to that equal to men. And, and it appears to have something to do with the, uh, with the iron load. Iron, uh, you know, an oxidizer, it uh, you know, does nasty things. I mean, it does useful things in the body as well. But, uh, you know, good on you, Ziggy. Hey, uh, let us know how it worked out, okay? All right, I will. Okay, good to, good to talk to you. Ziggy, thank you very much. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. 
Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Alvin in Greeley, Colorado. Hey, Alvin, thanks for watching us on Free Speech. What's up? Um, hi, Tom. Good to talk to you. Uh, I wanted to follow up on the, the guy pessimistic about the midterms. I feel the media is creating a self-fulfilling prophecy of a Republican victory. They keep saying over and over, Republicans are going to win. They give Biden no credit. We've had the strongest economy in 40 years, over 6 million jobs created, but all we can talk about is inflation, inflation, inflation. What happens is Democratic voters get discouraged. They think, well, the Republicans are going to win, so I might as well stay home. And then, what do you know? Republicans win. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, there may be an element of self-fulfilling prophecy in there, uh, Alvin. It, it may also be that, uh, you know, the media just likes downbeat narratives, you know, and, uh, you know, oh, oh yeah, d Democrats, you're going to lose. Or it may be well, that there's, there's, there is a lot of truth to the fact that, you know, in midterms, typically the party in power loses. Well, that's true, but I mean, that's a historical, but in 2004 or 2000, uh, the first midterm for George Bush, he actually won, uh, or the Republicans stayed in power. But I, I, I really I think Democrats need to start uh, sounding the alarm on fascism. They need to really start calling out the Republicans that they are a threat to our country. If you vote Republican this November, you are voting to put Trump back in power. That's right, or, or a Trump analog. I, you know, I don't, I don't think yeah. that Trump is probably going to run again, but, um, you know, God only knows. But there's certainly oh, a lot of Trump wannabes. Ron DeSantis and Rick Scott are at the top of that list. So, okay, thank yeah. you. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, good talking to you. Tom Hartman here with you, helping you win the water cooler wars. Now that we're getting back to the water cooler, we'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Russia is apparently, according to news reports, reaching out to China for military assistance. Now, you know, this might be part of State Department disinformation to make Russia look bad around the world, or it could be an attempt to put pressure on China. Um, odds are, though, that it's actually just the truth. And because, I mean, where else is Russia going to turn? We've, what we are watching right now is an autocracy. The Russian government has ceased to be a democracy. It is an autocracy or an oligarchy or both. And where else in the world can they go other than other autocracies, other governments that are run not by the will of the people, but by the will of a small governing clique? And that, of course, is China, along with at least half the other countries in the world. Keep in mind, only about half the countries of the world are democracies. But this is, this is what we're seeing right now in China, in Russia, is this whole, uh, you know, campaign, as it were, to promote autocracy. I don't know how to say it other than that. It, it's, it's like, you know, the, the, just the whole idea of democracy is anathema to these folks. And so, hey, let's stick together. We saw this, by the way, in World War II. Germany ceased to become a, to be a democracy in the mid-1930s. Now, it took them a while to get there, you know, with Hitler consolidating power, but they were still holding elections, and Hitler was, you know, re-elected in a popular election. He was a very popular politician for his day, uh, right, up until the, right up until 1939. 
And, uh, but when it ceased to become a democracy, that's when Hitler started going nuts. We saw the same thing in, J in Japan, when Japan ceased to be a democracy. Um, you know, off they went, off to the races. In that context, I would argue that democracies are largely self-correcting. In fact, I've been thinking about doing an op-ed about this for some time. That the other day, there was a, a conversation that I caught in, in a news story, you know, uh, on a, a TV, I think it was BBC. And they were talking about where to get information about uh, a couple of different issues, actually. And this one guy was talking about the importance of crowdsourced information. You know how crowdsourced information was more reliable, it was more consistently true, it was more consistently accurate. And democracy is just crowdsourced government. I mean, think about that for a minute. You know, if, if you've got a whole bunch of people working together to try to make a, you know, a new web browser or put together Wikipedia, which is crowdsourced information, you know, democracy is crowdsourced governance. There is wisdom in majorities. And this is the foundational premise of democracy. And so it shouldn't surprise us when countries that have been seized by oligarchs, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're watching oligarchs right now trying to do this in the United States, mostly via the Republican Party, but it completely happened in Russia. It has completely happened in China. When you see countries that have been seized by their own oligarchs, by the, by the wealthy and powerful within, who then, uh, you know, and, and leadership of these countries, and the leadership then puts itself in a position where it never has to step down. President Xi looks like he's going to be there for the rest of his life. President Putin looks like he's going to be there for the rest of his life. Or at least both of them are going to try. And, and again, these are just two examples. I mean, I, Saudi Arabia. Uh, UAE, I mean, pick, pick your country that's not a democracy. And what you find is that on, on frequent occasions, the leaders make decisions that the majority of the people would not have gone along with. And as a consequence, terrible things happen. I think it would have taken a massive campaign to convince the majority of Russians that they had to attack Ukraine. And frankly, if there had been, you know, if, if Putin had maintained a free press in Russia, I don't think it ever would have happened. And I think we could say the same thing about, you know, some of the practices of China. Um, but, you know, I, I don't see China behaving as egregiously on the world stage as, as Russia is right now by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, Jake Sullivan, Joe Biden's national security advisor, has just came out and said this, you know, yesterday. He was in Rome. He's actually meeting right now with uh, China's top diplomat, Yang Jiechi if I'm pronouncing that right, J-I-E-C-H-I, J-I-C-H-I, maybe. Uh, they're meeting in Rome, and Jake Sullivan says he is going to deliver the message that if China helps Russia in this thing, in this uh, invasion of Ukraine, in this brutal war of aggression, that China will face consequences. Well, that's pretty brave, Jake, but how do you threaten China with consequences when if China was to cut us off, and say, okay, no more trade with America, Walmart would be empty in a week. And not just Walmart. I mean, you know, half the stuff you buy on Amazon, half the stuff, three quarters of the stuff you see in any store was made in China. Would that, I mean, obviously it would create severe economic dislocation here in the United States, to say the very least. So I don't know how much this is, you know, pomp and ceremony, how much this is just you know, you know, the United States uh, playing tough, or how much we're willing to actually kind of go to the mat with regard to China, or for that matter, to what extent China is willing to, to do anything for Russia. I mean, keep in mind, China has the second largest, and arguably by some metrics, the largest economy in the world. Russia has an economy smaller than California's. They're, they're 10th or 11th in the world. And it's, the size, it's more or less the size of Italy. And, you know, yeah, Russia has a hell of a lot of nukes and a very large military, but, and, and a huge land mass and a lot of natural resources. But back in, in and this, by the way, will be my next book. In fact, you can, you can even uh, find it, uh, you could pre-order it online, shameless plug. 
um, the hidden history of neoliberalism. And there's you know a couple of chapters in there about how Russia took the bait. They bought into Milton Friedman and Ronald Reagan's sales pitch. It was George Herbert Walker Bush, actually, who was president when this happened, that they should embrace neoliberalism, austerity, economics, trickle-down economics, Reaganism, whatever you want to call it. They should embrace that, which always just produces oligarchy. It doesn't produce democracy. It doesn't help democracy. Whereas China said, you know, they had a two-year debate within China in the 80s about whether China, in the, in the late 80s, whether China should go neoliberal like Russia had or whether China should adopt the Hamilton plan like the United States did in 1793 or 1791 was when Hamilton proposed it. 1793 was the time by which it was largely implemented. And the Chinese ended up saying, we're going to go with the Ameri what, what Hamilton called the American plan, which is, you know, we're going to protect our domestic manufacturing. We're going to incentivize manufacturing companies. We're going to make sure our factories don't go overseas. All, this, all the stuff that we abandoned with the Reagan administration in the 1980s. And we've been moving in the direction of Russia, of empowering oligarchs and corporations and disempowering democracy and the people. And Russia's fully there. So now, now we've got, you know, Russia and China maybe getting together, maybe not. I mean, keep in mind, trade is 46% of the Russian economy. Most of that is fossil fuels, but their single largest trading partner is China. Most of the consumer goods used in Russia are coming out of China that aren't manufactured indigenously. And Beijing has called on Russia to uh, uh, exercise what they refer to as maximum restraint, although they refuse to call Russia's invasion of Ukraine an invasion. So they're still kind of dancing to Putin's tune. And there was a meeting with uh, President Xi with the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and the French President Emmanuel Macron over the weekend. And President Xi expressed concern about the impact of sanctions on global finance, energy supplies, transportation, supply chains. I think China's principal concern here is not the survival of Russia or the survival of Putin. I think it's, it's the survival of the world economy uh, because they don't want to face domestic unrest as a consequence of uh, growth becoming negative. And then on top of this, and uh, Hu Zhijin, former uh, editor-in-chief of the state-backed Chinese Global Times newspaper, said on Twitter, quote, if Sullivan thinks he can persuade China to participate in sanctions against Russia, he will be disappointed. But the other thing that's happening in China right now is they have, you know, they've had virtually no COVID deaths. I mean, the whole country has had fewer than 5,000 people die of COVID in the last two years. And in addition to vaccinating everybody in the country as much as they can, and we don't really know how effective their vaccine is, it appears to be effective, but not as effective as ours. They have been practicing this absolute draconian um, lockdown state to prevent COVID from spreading inside China. And apparently Omicron slipped through and they got Omicron infections in Hong Kong and the hospitals are overflowing and then it jumped from, from Hong Kong into the mainland and into Shenzhen, the, the, this big manufacturing city right across the bay from Hong Kong. And from Shenzhen, it appears to be popping up in a couple of other Chinese cities. There's an entire city. Uh, I, I don't have the name of it right in front of me. I'm sorry. But um, there's an entire city of nine million people in China that has completely locked down. It's gone into total lockdown. Well, what happens is this spreads around China. And we go back to the situation that we had about five or six months ago, where for a month or two at a time, China is not shipping things because they will not, you know, because they basically shut down to deal with COVID. And if that happens, then, you know, the whole supply chain thing, the whole inflation thing is going to get a hell of a lot worse again in the United States. So that, I, you know, I think what, when China is looking at problems in the world that they've got to be concerned about, Ukraine is way down on the list for them. But on the other hand, Russia is a fellow autocrat, and autocrats have to stick together. If they don't have each other's backs, democracies might challenge them. And, and uh, Beijing had a problem over the last 15, 20 years in Hong Kong with pro-democracy folks challenging Chinese autocrats. So I hope I've laid it out you know, with some nuance here, because it's not black and white. It's not simple. 
There's no way of knowing how this is going to shake out. And it's an extraordinarily dangerous time for America. So should we sanction China for helping Russia? Can we even? I don't think so, but we'll see. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. This is toward the very end, and it's a chapter titled Transforming Culture Through Politics. Many think it's just to fund tax cuts and subsidies for the rich, that the multimillionaire CEOs who've taken over almost all senior posts in government are just pigs at the trough. And this is a spectacular but ordinary form of self-serving corruption. It all seems so plausible, and there's even a grain of truth to it. But juicy deals for right-wing government insiders and their friends are just a byproduct of the real and deeper war against democracy. The neoconservatives are perfectly happy for us to think that they're just opportunists skirting the edges of legality and morality. But this is far more dangerous than simple government corruption. Indeed, the neoconservatives claim to be anti-government. As a leading spokesman for the neocon agenda, Grover Norquist told National Public Radio's Mara Liason in a May 25th, 2001 morning edition interview, quote, I don't want to abolish government. I simply want to reduce it to the size where I can drag it into the bathroom and drown it in the bathtub, end quote. Without a larger view, the issues of domestic spending, oil, neoconservative power plays in both major parties, the loss of liberties, anti-government rhetoric, and war in the Middle East all seem like separate and unconnected events. They're not. The new conservatives who've seized the Republican Party and who, through the Democratic Leadership Council, are nipping at the heels of the Democratic Party, are not our parents' conservatives. Historic conservatives like Barry Goldwater, Harry Truman, and Dwight Eisenhower would be appalled, although their philosophical roots go back to Alexander Hamilton, who openly argued during the Constitutional Convention that royalty was the best form of government. The neocons have always been kept to the fringe. Indeed, the Reagan-Bush revolution flew in the face of traditional conservative ideals, as John Stockwell notes in his book, The Praetorian Guard, The U.S. Role in the New World Order, Reagan Bush were proud of their contempt for their concerns of environmentalists, with Reagan once saying, if you've seen one Redwood, you've seen them all. Their Department of the Interior under James Watt sold off minerals and forests to campaign contributors at fire sale prices, and their EPA in many cases moved from prosecuting corporate polluters to legitimizing and protecting them under the guise of regulation. Although James Madison wrote in 1792 that an important role of government was to promote a strong middle class, quote, by the silent operation of the laws, which, without violating the rights of property, reduce extreme wealth toward a state of mediocrity and raise extreme indigence toward a state of comfort, end of quote from James Madison. That was not a sentiment shared by those in the Reagan-Bush revolution. Instead, Reagan raised taxes on the middle class and working people while cutting taxes by more than 60% for the most wealthy in America. At the same time, he bragged that he'd eliminated more than 1,000 programs for poor people and even proposed that poor schoolchildren should be content with ketchup as their daily vegetable. At the same time, the Reagan-Bush administration and later the George W. Bush administration worked hard to roll back the very individual liberties that America's founders had fought and died for. Dwight Eisenhower left office warning Americans about the dangers of the concentration of power resulting from corporations getting into bed with the military. But the Reagan-Bush and W. Bush administrations openly embraced these corporate powers, inviting them into the halls of governance and hungrily sucking at the teat of their campaign contributions. In the past, those promoting what is now called the new conservative agenda went by different names. The founders of America knew that for 6,000 years, civilized human beings had been ruled by one of three groups, kings, theocrats, or feudal lords. 
kings held power by virtue of the threat of violence and continual warfare. Theocrats and popes held power by the people's fear of a god or gods, and feudal lords by wealth and the power that comes from throwing average people into poverty. The new idea of our founders in 1776 was to throw off all three of these historic tyrannies and replace them with a fourth way, the people being ruled by themselves, a government that derived its legitimacy and continuing existence solely from the approval of its citizens. Government of, by, and for we the people, they called it, a constitutional Republican democracy. What we are seeing now in the conservative agenda is nothing less than an attempt to overthrow Republican democracy and replace it with a worldwide feudal state. The last time this happened, the feudalists took over a monarchy in the North America. In December 1600, Queen Elizabeth I chartered the East India Company, ultimately leading to a corporate takeover of the Americas for the colonists that ended with the Boston Tea Party and three years later, the American Revolution. The corporate state partnership of the East India Company in the UK went on to then to conquer India, but eventually disintegrated as the British Empire faded and the British government, along with most of Western Europe, embraced somewhat more Jeffersonian forms of democracy. Conservatism raised its head again in the 20th century, revived by Franco, Hitler and Mussolini. The Italian dictator even used the word corporatism to describe it and then later renamed it as fascism a word defined by the American Heritage Dictionary as, quote, a system of government that exercises a dictatorship of the extreme right, typically through the merging of state and business leadership together with belligerent nationalism. The book is The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. Welcome back. Picking up your phone calls. And uh, John in Austin, Texas. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I've been wondering, you know, Putin's army has proven itself to be pretty inept. And that's why he's sort of leaning on his heavy armaments and bombs and such. And so I was wondering, who is brokering these arms? Who, who's manufacturing, brokering, brokering these arms? If, if that supply chain was interrupted, things would calm down a little bit, I think. Let me tell you a funny story here, uh, John. This is uh-huh. the minister, let me get this right, the head of Ukraine's anti-corruption agency sent a letter to Sergei Shoku, who is the minister of defense for Russia, and it's a thank you letter, and it says, uh, the National Agency on Corruption Prevention uh, wants to thank you for help in support in strengthening democratic institutions here in Ukraine. And this is speaking to the military industrial complex of Russia here uh, per your call, John. Um, he says, uh, we are offering sincere gratitude to the Minister of Defense of the Russian Federation, Sergei Shoku, uh, because basically he's stealing money from Russia and putting it in his own pocket. He, the the, the, the anti-corruption agency of Ukraine writes, Participating in the methodical, systemic, and long-term theft of the budgetary funds of the Russian Federation, Sergei Shoku, along with other f- officials in the defense sector, contributed to the acceleration of the liquidation of the occupiers. And then they give examples. They say, in particular, the protection of Russian T-72 and T-80 tanks with cardboard egg trays. Yes, yeah, so I mean, they actually have, they have pictures attached to this. Apparently, some of these tanks... The armor on the outside of them was actually egg cartons um, that looked like armor. And they write, and also, deep gratitude to Mr. Shogu for the use of Zill 130 cars to transport personnel. These cars with their bright aquamarine color allow the local territory, in other words, they're just, they're just buying cars off the lot and saying, here, this is a troop transport. These cars with their bright aquamarine color, color allow the local territorial defense forces of Ukraine to collectively undergo training in the operation of modern weapons against light-colored targets. Thanks also, special thanks to those who provide the Russian army with military food packages, the expiration date of which is due in 2015. Due to the lack of food, the Russian occupation troops have abandoned military equipment and surrendered to the local residents of Ukrainian villages in order to eat. We also admired your bulletproof vest made of cardboard, worn by the crew members of the captured Russian Bernal T armored car instead of armored plates. We express special gratitude because now that armored car serves in the ranks of the Ukrainian Defense Forces. And they go on to say, uh, Russian corruption has been as important to Ukrainian success as Javelin anti-tank missiles. So that's what we know about the Russian military industrial complex, John. 
Wow, that just blows my mind. Yeah. That just blows my mind. Yeah. So they're having a bit of a problem. I mean, we've we've obviously got a problem. You know, half our defense budget is going to private for-profit corporations, and they're ripping us off badly. But apparently, nowhere near as bad as Ukraine. John, thanks a lot for the call. Thomas in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Thomas, what's up? I think I heard on the program last week that the Justice Department is prohibited from suing the red states who have passed voter suppression laws. That's correct. That's correct, because what they're doing is not against the law. The Supreme Court said it's just fine. The Supreme Court ruled in the Ohio case that purging, you know, hundreds of thousands of people off the voting rolls is just fine. Thank you very much. And as long as it's done for political purposes. And the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Enhancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act, which would have rendered these behaviors illegal, were blocked in the United States Senate by every single Republican plus Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Yeah, that I knew, but I wasn't aware of it. I, I, did, I didn't hear about this. Justice Department can only fi- enforce laws that are on the books. And if, uh, if the Senate refuses to put the laws on the books, then the Justice Department can't do anything about it. It's just that simple. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same channel. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us time to get active. we got a big year coming up here, a lot going on around the world and in our country election-wise. So get out there, get active, tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. And pray for peace in Ukraine and around the world. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.